Welcome to 1530. This is episode 14. Today we're going to be talking about clay. What are Nadal's odds at the French Open this year? We break down past years. What was different about the years he failed to win the French Open in 2009, 2015, and 2016? We're also going to talk about clay court theory. How, how does one win matches on clay? I've coined a couple new phrases for those different methods. We also want to discuss Dominic Team and his improving clay court game and the numbers behind Dominic Team's rise. Welcome to 1530, a tennis podcast. Now introducing your hosts. I'm Ben. Matt isn't with us this week, but my brother Daniel is joining me today as a guest co-host. Hi. Dan, why don't you start us off with the stat of the day? Well, the stat of the day is that Nadal's career win percentage on clay is actually 92%. This has led to his record 57 titles on clay, including 11 French Open titles. That's incredible. To put this into perspective, you need to look at his career win percentage on other surfaces. On grass... It's 78%, and hard courts, it's 77%, paling in comparison to the 92%. So this brings up his overall total average win percentage up quite a bit to 82%. So 92, that's incredible. We want to break mm-hmm. down this difference in win percentage. So if you go ahead and look at the serve, you see that the service numbers are slightly lower, with the exception of his first serve in. And this should be expected. You're not going to win as many free points, um, as many aces, or as many first serve, like two, two, uh, two points, right, where you hit the serve and then you hit the big forehand right after. So you're not going to have as many of those winners. But we know that Nadal likes to take a little bit off his first serve and kind of spin it in because spin is more beneficial on the clay court. But really the key is going to be in the return points. So if you look at the return points, He's getting aced 5% fewer on clay, which is great. So he's able to be in more of those rallies. And then on the second serve, we like to talk a lot about second serve return points one, 4% better. That's that's a strength in the doll on any surface. But the key is really that first serve return points one, 8% better on clay. Again, part of that's because there's less aces. People are able to be, are not able to be as dominant on their serve. So Nadal, he's taking quite a bit more points off the first serve. This is leading to Nadal getting set up for more break points, which he's winning 6% more converting those break points. We all know break points determine uh, the victor of the match. And then overall, he's winning 14% more return games. And you think 14%, wait a second, 15% is his improvement from clay from hardcourt to clay as far as win percentage. So it's very, very close. So really it does come down to the return game. He's just winning way more return points. He's in most service games, to be honest, when you're on clay. So therefore he's winning 92%. It's it's pretty insane. And it's just something that, that the numbers clearly show as well. I do also want to say on his serve one number that was better, it's only marginally better, is he's saving almost 1% more break points on his serve. So that's an improvement from the hard court. And part of, part of that could be he's just more comfortable on clay. He's more comfortable with rallies than his opponents. So, again, incredible. Dan, any comments on Nadal's numbers 
on Clay? I think, I think the numbers really show where where he's in. He's not he's not a big server uh, server. He's really in the game. He's always in the game. You can't count him out on anything. And I think, as you said, the numbers show that. Yep. So if you're a Rafael Nadal fan, are you worried about his French Open chances this year? He did lose a pretty easy. He lost pretty easily to Fognini in the Monte Carlo semifinals, straight sets. Not something that you're used to seeing from Rafael Nadal. So this kind of leads into our next discussion. We want to look at predictive power. What happened in the years, like I said, 2009, 2015, 2016, where he actually lost the French Open. And see, maybe was there something that was uh, a canary in the coal mine? Was there from the warm-up tournaments? Because he usually plays Monte Carlo, which is a Masters 1000. Then Barcelona, a 500. It used to be Hamburg from 2005 to 2008. Now it's Madrid is the Masters 1000 that he plays. And then Rome. So we went ahead and made this cool spreadsheet to look at the numbers there. And we kind of came up with some, some interesting findings. We'll go ahead and we'll also post this on cognitionsphere.com. But what we found was since Nadal started winning the French Open in 2005 through now, and he has 11 of those titles, these are the numbers we came up with. So on his his pre-French Open score adjusted is 78%. So this, this includes each of the, t- the four warm-up tournaments, how well he does in them. Does he win them? Does he lose in the second round, et cetera? So 78% is his average with a standard deviation of about 20%. And the year that he lost in 2009, he had an 89% score. So going, I guess, another way to put this is he won Monte Carlo. He won Barcelona. He was a finalist in Madrid, and he won in Rome. But he ended up losing in the round of 16 at the French Open, which is very interesting. So we went ahead and we looked at the ELO ratings. So we had Rafael Nadal lose to Robin Soderling. This really was a fluke event, like I'm saying. It's almost like a 1% type event. Actually, according to ELO, it was a 4% chance for Soderling. Rafa had a 96% chance to win. So we're going to talk more about Robert Soderling and his game plan and how he was able to pull that off. But we'll go ahead and keep going. So we also have a column here that talks about the amount of sets that Nadal drops throughout the four warm-up tournaments, not including the French Open. So on average, he drops about 5.5 sets, which over four tournaments, pretty impressive. And the standard deviation is about 2.5 sets. So the three years that he was one standard deviation above the 5.5, so eight or above, were 2015, 2016, and actually 2014, which Nadal was able to win the French Open in 2014. So 2014 was an interesting year. He started off slow. He made the quarterfinals of Monte Carlo, quarterfinals of Barcelona, won Madrid, but then was a finalist at Rome. So overall, his score for those tournaments is a 53%. So it's a standard deviation below his average. But he was still able to win the French Open. And he dropped 10 sets throughout those four, those four warm-up tournaments. But at the French Open, he only dropped two. And one of them was in the final against Djokovic. He had to come back after dropping the first set. So that's one where I don't know if he just got a luckier draw or if this model just doesn't predict it as well. Or maybe he just started playing better. Because like I'm saying, he was able to to be a champion and a finalist. And on the first half of the clay court season, he was in the quarters. So maybe that those numbers were bringing him down. So he could have played into form there in 2014, but 2015 and 2016, there is no error here in our calculations. So 
In 2015, he lost in the quarterfinals in straight sets to Novak Djokovic. And the score was 33% um, leading in. He didn't actually win a title going in. He was semis of Monte Carlo, third round of Barcelona, finalist at Madrid, and quarterfinals at Rome. So one of the first times he's even failed to win a tournament. He usually wins um, two and a half tournaments on average. So all I have to say is if you're a Rafael Nadal fan, it's a little bit early. We have to see how he does in the other three tournaments because you never know. Um, we'll also look at 27, 2016, excuse me. This was one where he won the first two tournaments, Monte Carlo and Barcelona. He lost Madrid in the quarterfinals, excuse me, the semifinals and Rome in the quarterfinals. But then in the French Open, he didn't drop a set, but instead he withdrew in the third round. He withdrew in the third round without dropping a set due to injury. So he won the first two tournaments and he tapered off and didn't win the next two and didn't win the French. And the model shows that he had a 58% score, which is a standard deviation below his average about. So maybe this picked up that the first half he wasn't injured. The second half he got injured, wasn't able to do it. But this, according to this as well, this is also showing danger. He dropped eight sets before, which is again, way higher than his average. So that that proved to be predictive on the trouble that he had. A few a few other things that are interesting. So 2017, he didn't drop a set en route to the title, and that was another year where he he played really well in the, the tournaments leading up. He won three of those tournaments. And he also didn't drop a set in 2010, which is interesting. And anything from the numbers that you're seeing? I think I think one important thing, if we go back to 2014 especially. Um, him leading into it uh, actually kind of shows his one of his strengths on clay courts that we'll talk about later, but just one word of Rafael Nadal is mentality, and I think 2014 shows that, but we'll talk about that later. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so again, we're going to go ahead and we'll post this spreadsheet so you can look at it yourselves, and hopefully we can keep adding to it throughout this season to get an idea of if Nadal should still be the hands-on favorite, which I'm convinced he should be until proven otherwise. And we can maybe even make one for Federer for, for Wimbledon. So I think this, looking at the warm-up tournaments leading in, looking at the form, because it's all about building the form for when you get to the Grand Slams and playing well is important. Djokovic is another one maybe as well. So we also want to talk about clay court theory. So what do the stats show about how do we win on clay? So the first one I'm going to talk about is the Nadal method, calling it the quote-unquote Nadal method of playing on clay. He's the greatest of all time on clay. His method is really to break you down. Like Dan said, he's not going to go for the huge serves on clay. But on the second serve return, he's, he's winning 60% of points. And on, on second serve points on his own serve, he's winning 58%. He even kept improving. 2017, he peaked at 64% on clay. Ridiculous numbers. He breaks you down, and he's able to be in every single point. His movement is spectacular, and he ends up crushing you, even on points that you think you should win because of that defense able to turn it into offense. You put a ball away, you try to come up to net, he's going to hit it right past you. Or something he does as well, really well, is he gains slight advantage as the rally goes on. He's not scared of long rallies. So what he'll do is he goes for placement on the serve, and then he looks for... A forehand right after that, and the and in the rallies he keeps increasing the angle, so he's and then eventually he'll get that short ball to put away. So he's not trying to win right off the bat. 
he gets these small advantages as the rally goes on. Djokovic also plays the style, I feel like, but to a less efficient manner than Nadal. And the numbers even show this. He doesn't quite have the percent on second serve return points or on his second serve uh, either. Murray could also play this. Anyone who's a good mover, I feel like this strategy would work well unless you're playing anybody but Nadal. But Clay really, because of the high bounce, it's harder to put things away, put the points away. You're able to get into longer points and dictate. I think I think to add to that, Todd Woodbridge once said that Nadal's key success on clay were quote unquote movement and athleticism. Another technique, his ability to shape a shot, his defensive skills, and his knowledge about when to attack and when to defend. But mentality is probably the most crucial thing for a clay quarter like Rafa, having patience and refusing to miss. Close quote. I think that's that just perfectly explains what Ben was talking about. His his mentality is is ferocious and his and his play style is so suited to the clay court and especially um, his his movement as Ben was talking about earlier. Yeah, I I really do think it comes down to his movement and when he's feeling that forehand when he can just whip it up the line on that boogie whip forehand whenever he wants, you're probably not going to win. It's it's insane. Yeah. However, I want to talk about another strategy, one that Robin Soderlin used to defeat him in 2009. One I've also seen Stan Wawrinka use on clay to good effect. And Federer also to some degree as well. You play high-risk tennis or redlining is a, is a strategy I want to call it. Basically, you're going for winners. You're going for the lines. I watched a point of Nadal and Soderling on YouTube recently. It summed it up perfectly. Nadal hit a beautiful shot, cross-court, spinning out of the court. Soderling would have been lucky with good movement just to get that back into play, to get that into the high part or the low part of the net just to hit it cross court. But instead, Soderling took a huge swing up the line for a winner. And he did this several times, several winners. And then some of them he missed. Some of them Nadal got back, but then he was smart to get to the net to close it out. This is how Soderling played. He didn't care even if Nadal passed him at the net. He's like, nope, I'm just going to go ahead and keep up this game plan. He didn't let it phase him. So this is the way you have to play. And it, and if you're not, if you're missing the small, it's a small margin game. So if you're barely missing, it's not going to work out. You need to be on your game. And you also need to win the clutch points. So I have the, the stats here. We'll look at what Soderly did. So he aced 6% to Nadal's 2%. But the key is really on his serve. So he was able to win 68% of first serve points one. Like we said, that's a strength of Nadal's on clay compared to hardcourt. So Nadal wasn't winning that many first serve points, even not very many second serve points, which shocked me looking at the numbers. Soderling won 62% of second serve points won. This would win a match, most likely if I saw this one number on any surface. Break points saved 50% to Nadal's 17%. And also want to bring up Nadal's second serve points won was only 45%. So extremely low for him as well. On the return game, Soderling, the key stat, though, is break points won. He won 83% of break points won. Nadal still had 50%, which was good. But Soderling was just converting break points like crazy. And then, of course, 55% second serve return points won. So it's even interesting, total return points, Soderling won more than Nadal, which, again, you'd never expect, unless it was someone like Djokovic maybe to win more return points than Nadal. Nadal won 34% to Soderling's 38%. So overall, Soderling had the points dominance, if you're familiar with that statistic. 1.1 to 0.9. Just usually if you're above 1, you're showing that you're dominating more of the points. So Soderling was able to do this. 
He, he backed up his serve. He serves pretty big anyways, even on clay. He flattens it out a little bit more. But he's going for a winner on his next shot. And even if it's not a winner, he'll go to net to finish it off, to finish up the point. We'll go ahead and look at Stan Wawrinka's numbers compared to Djokovic when he beat, them, beat him in the French Open final in 2015. He aced Djokovic 7% to Djokovic about 5%. His first serve um, points won is 76%, which is very impressive, even better than Sorolin's. But his second serve wasn't as good. It wasn't in the 60s. It was 50%. Still not bad. Djokovic's was 53%. But Stan's breakpoint saved 80%. Djokovic still saved almost 73%. And on the return, he won 37% first serve return points. Pretty good compared to Djokovic's 24%. And again, you'd expect Djokovic to return better than Stan. On the second serve, Stan won 47% of the return points on the second serve to Djokovic's 50. But he had more break points that he won, 27% to 20% for Djokovic. So overall, again, Stan won more return points than Djokovic, 41% to 33%. His point dominance is even better than Soderling's over Nadal, 1.25 to Djokovic's 0.8. So again, not the exact same numbers, not the exact same blueprint, but very similar play styles, especially if you look at the break points. I think that's kind of the key. You're able to defend your serve. He did so very well on his first serve for Stan. Soderling really well on both. And then you're still able to get some return points. You're saving break points. And the few points that you get on the return, you're converting them. That's a way to win on clay. High-octane tennis. But it's hard, right? Like Soderling, he, he never won a French Open title. Even though he beat Nadal in 2009, he made the final and lost to Roger Federer in 2009. The next year, he won in the quarterfinals in the French Open 2010 against Federer. Actually snapped his streak of semifinals consecutive semifinals and majors, which was huge. But he ended up losing to Nadal in the final in 2010. So he never made a French Open final, but he had some really good numbers and really good game plan on clay. Stan, of course, has only won one French Open, but he did so by playing clutch tennis. So we want to also look at Dominic Team. Well, first, anything, Dan, to add? I think um, one big thing was was the disparity. If, if you look, like Ben was talking about, the disparity between the break points, like, like you were saying, it, it, it hits perfectly. You have to be on your A game. You have to be clutch in the moment and hitting shots to keep you in the rallies. But as you said, it doesn't always produce the results that you want. Soderling never won, and that may be due to his lack of experience or maybe, maybe due to him not being on his A game when he's playing – when he played that final – it could, it could be. Yeah, it, it's hard because he has to have, in 2009, he had to have a match against Nadal like that and Federer like that. And it just Exactly. It's just, it's harder to produce. It's hard to be consistent and be redlined because redline, by definition, you're hitting faster, closer to the lines than you normally would. It's hard to keep that up. So I want to talk about someone who I think is starting to exemplify the Rafa style of play on clay. He has improved his return points one over the years on clay. He's up to 40% return points one, which is extremely good. Close to Rafa's 48%, about. 55% of second serve points one versus 58% for Rafa. Rafa's even gotten into the low 60s. So 
team is right there. 58% is extremely close. Second server turn points one is 54%. Nadal, again, is in the upper 50s, flirting with 60s. So team, you can see his numbers, especially on the return and on the second serve, second serve points are right close to Rafa. Another interesting stat to look at is break points ratio. So again, this is based on are you breaking more than your opponent? So again, over one is a good break point ratio. So team has steadily improved his break point ratio on clay. So I'm looking here at a graph from, from when he first turned pro until now. It's gone all the way from 0.8 up to about 1.3, close to 1.4. Now, if you look at Nadal's, there's some peaks and some valleys along the way for sure. He hasn't won a French Open with a break points ratio below 1.3 to 1.4. And team is right in that range. And I, I assume he's going to con continue to improve that number because he is getting better on clay. So I think that that's really interesting. As he continues to improve his game and improve his movement on clay and get more comfortable, bear in mind he's, he made his first French Open final. There was made in Grand Slam final last year. Lost to Nadal in straight sets, but he's beaten Nadal and Clay before. So I think we're going to continue to see him to improve. And I expect to see him as a French Open champion or as a major Clay competitor as this goes on, if he can keep it up. And if he really does have that same blueprint in him to play like Nadal, but I think he has it in him. The problem is he's probably going to have to go through Rafa, the greatest of all time. So that yeah. will be the greatest challenge. I think one thing to talk about um, is even though um, he, is, he is developing the style of Rafa at the time, I think nobody can out Nadal, Nadal, especially when he's in his prime. And I think, I think it's going to be a tough challenge, but I think he's up to it. I think he's going to be improving to where a level he can be. Yeah. And, and at 1530, something we really like to talk about. So even in the namesake of 1530, right, it's, 1530 is not the most important point for win probability in a match or in a game, excuse me. It's the second most important point that swings win probability, right? Because we know break point, winning break point or winning game point, that swings it to 100% probability of winning the game. But when you go from 1530 and you're serving, and if you win the point, you go to 30 all, that's a huge swing in probability compared to going down 1540, down a double break. So no, 1530, if, if you don't want to think about just a game point or break point being clutch, be clutch on 1530 points. I, I think about it now I'm on the tennis court out playing just casually recreationally. And I think when I get to 1530, oh man, this is a big point. Either if I'm serving or if I'm returning, I'm like, this is a big one. I got to get this point. So here at 1530, we like to talk about some of those interesting stats. It might not be the most important stat, but maybe the second most important stat. So going with this narrative, it's pretty clear who the greatest clay quarter of all time is. But who is the second greatest clay, greatest clay quarter of all time? That's going to be the topic of our next episode. A lot of people say, oh, Federer, he would have won so many more French Opens if it wasn't for Nadal. Djokovic, I think, has good claim to be there based on his numbers. Bjorn Borg won several French Opens. There's a lot of people that could lay claim for this. So we want to div dive into the numbers, and we'll look at that next episode. Our theme music is brought to you by Kevin McLeod with excerpts from his song, Cool Rock. And until next time, we will see you on the court.